Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're on episode 88. Welcome to episode 88. And we're going to talk about um, the core, this is what I'm going to call this, is the, the, the true deep core of the human condition. Ooh. The prison we're all trying to fight our way out of. Uh-huh. Where it comes from, what it actually is. And how do we get out of it? I think uh, this has been a game changer for me. It's uh, it's a encounter I had in my Bible time yesterday, and I can't stop thinking about it. So to be fair to John, um, I've not told you any of this. Yeah, this is a special episode in that and I have I didn't even know the genre of conversation. Yes. So John's coming in cold turkey, but I really trust your ability to engage in a conversation, and this really is. A typical father and son conversation. Sometimes you bring in a topic. Sometimes I do. So this is genuine to our ethos. Yeah, I'm. I'm personally very excited. Did I just use that word right? Ethos. Uh, I don't know. I think I did. I honestly, I just wowed myself. I would have been more (laughs) impressive if I had not second guessed. I don't know if. You know what? Let's keep going. First, it is story time, and uh, you are up this week. What do you got? I am up this week, and I thought I would tell you a story, John, that. Uh, might explain some of my character flaws. Uh, so <laughs> your, your human uh, condition. Yes, the formation of my own soul. Yeah. So um, I am one of four kids. I am the third of four, which birth order people say is the middle child. Not the second. Right. <clears throat> and my uh, parents married as teenagers. My dad was 16. My mom was 15. They had known each other for about three weeks. And that's insane. Uh, both dropped out of high school. My dad became uh, very successful, um, very competitive. Mm-hmm. My dad, um, you know, they both they were who they are. But anyway, this is my dad. OK, so my dad is like this mega competitive guy, good, sure. good athlete in his young days and uh, can't stand losing at anything. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. Tiddlywinks. Is that right? Tiddly. I have. You're making some hand gestures like you're milking a cow. What is a uh, tiddlywinks? <laughs> Never mind. It's a it's a real thing. It's a fun game to play. You you have these little discs, these uh-huh. short, small, thin plastic discs, and you you flip one to make it flip in the air. Okay, and, and that's how you advance and land you, them close to a certain yeah, target. yeah yeah tiddlywinks. It sounds like marbles, kind of. Yeah, with plastic rings. Tiddlywinks. All right, Google it. I think that's right. Anyway, <laughs> it didn't matter if it was that or playing cards or throwing darts. Winning was everything to him. And I he, play an I spy in the car. Yes, and he um, he trained me. I, he convinced me is what he did mm-hmm. that uh, you know the Ricky Bobby thing. If you ain't first, you last. And your job <laughs> is not just to win, but to destroy your opponent. That was that was basically his deal. Jeez. And uh, so he was a big racquetball player when I was uh, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. And you had told me this before. I didn't know that racquetball would have been big in Texas in the 70s. Well, I don't know that it was big, but it had a loyal crowd. Okay. Uh, kind of like pickleball, I understand, is here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh. I've still never played pickleball, but there are people with pickleball courts in their backyard. My in-laws. And I think it's a thing. Yeah, my in-laws have a pickleball court in their backyard. Well, there you go. And uh, for us, it was racquetball. Well, my dad was really good at racquetball. 
And my brother and I, my brother's three years older than me, we aspired to beat dad. That was the only reason we played racquetball <laughs> was to get good enough to beat dad. You enjoyed it. Sure. Right? Oh, I love the game. Okay. And, uh, but I was driven at, at anything. It was which, your motivator. Yes. Any, at anything. The goal was always to beat dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we would get a new board game. My brother and I, we would hide it from my dad and we would practice <laughs> and play it with our friends for a month. He would never even know we had it. Uh-huh. Then we would come home one day and say, Hey, Dad, our friends just brought over this new board game. Why don't we give it a try? Yeah. And so that way. To ambush him. Yeah. And he would say, well, sure. And he would get out the rules. <laughs> and he would study over the rules and look at the board, look at all the game parts. we said, come on, let's just play. You'll catch on. No. And he would study it all. And then he would clear the clock with us. <laughs> Even uh, games like, like shoots it, and ladders. It didn't matter. It games didn't, of luck. Yes. It did not matter. Weird. We would practice darts. We put a dart board in the garage. My brother and I would practice darts. Mm-hmm. As soon as we invited, hey, why don't, why don't we play dart? We found a dart board in the garage. Let's try darts. Yeah. He backed up the throwing line <laughs> 15 feet. <laughs> where you're having to like moon arc these things. Yeah. And he just wears out. <laughs> uh, so racquetball, we start getting good. We start getting good enough to beat dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how he responded to uh, the threat of defeat. Mm-hmm. He would hit you with the ball on purpose. Whoa. Uh, hard. I mean, you'd come home with big red whelps on your thighs or your hamstrings or your back. Uh, he would hit a shot, and then he would screen the ball with his racket to the last second, pull his racket away so you could hit the ball. Um, if he was going to bump into you to go chase a ball, he would throw you against the wall. <laughs> he was not going to lose. Holy smokes. But we both got where we could beat him and beat him regularly. And it Dang. was it was – I think it was his arrival at what he would consider old age. Yeah. Which, 35. Yeah. That's and not, I mean, that's no, pretty young for that's, old that's age. That's young, yeah. Well, he died at 36. But uh, it destroyed him that we could beat him in racquetball. Really? Yeah. There was no pride? I think he quit playing. You, he got no gratification out of it? No. My dad, if he couldn't win, he wouldn't play. But that you had, his boys had worked that hard this is the therapy session john now we're getting into why i need therapy but i just wanted to tell you the story because um what it did was it it made me think this is the way it is you gotta you gotta you gotta beat everybody yeah i remember i came home from college and uh, my mom was into tennis and we go out to the tennis courts and we're hitting balls back and forth and Uh i am just slamming balls down her throat (laughs) (laughs) and she eventually threw her racket at me from across the court and said I'm never playing tennis with you again. Yeah. And stormed off. Uh, and, I, and that's when it hit me. This isn't good. You know, the kind of guy you're playing Legos with your kids and you're like trying yeah. to like yeah. build something amazing. Nibble on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing to me that uh, I've thought of this for a while that there's like every skill set a person could have comes with a, a pretty clear um, opposite to it. Yeah. So like your yeah. drivenness, it is a gift. And it comes with a kind of could be a nasty. Yeah, it's the dark uh, edge of the sword. Right, right. So, yeah, what could be a gift for me of like abstract thought or critical thinking, the opposite of that is inactivity. And I have a theory that all of our biggest weaknesses are our strengths pushed beyond appropriate limits. There you go. That's a whole nother book. Let's get, we'll get to that in another, uh, another episode. <laughs> All right. So here's I'm, what I'm eager to hear about this. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter three. I'm not going to read it to you, but this is the fall of man. Mm-hmm. Oh, and before I forget 
That is the power of dads. We've also wanted to have that conversation with Rob oh, eventually. Yeah. How crazy important your dad is to your uh, formation. Oh, of, of your identity, your sense of self, the way you view the world. And not even just fathers and sons. Your sister is ridiculously competitive. She would flip. You told me she'd oh. flip board games oh, my over yes. if she was about to lose. Yes. It cracks me Accuse up. us all of cheating, even though we were playing fair and square and beat her. Yes. It was a yeah. it was a pack of wolves is yeah. what it was. Anyway, forgive me. That's okay. So Genesis. So Genesis 3. So I have uh, been wrapped around this uh, Fall of Man episode so much in my uh, adult life of just mm-hmm. reflecting on it because it is the origin of the disaster. Sure. And I do believe that we carry in our soul um, some DNA all the way back to the garden. It's why we have this um, this struggle with bad the world being broken, mm-hmm. bad things happening to good people. This isn't right. We all know something's wrong. Yeah. And we crave paradise. We crave uh, justice and fairness and equity because that's how the world's supposed to be. We all know the world's not as it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think it's because of this residual DNA in us from the garden. And even this view of of uh, progress, where hey, eventually we can make it the way it's supposed to be. Right, we'll build it into the perfect world. Even that relies on that understanding of that this is not how it should be. Right, and then we are incapable. You mm-hmm. know, it's like the guy they find on a desert island. He uh, had a you know three hour tour, <laughs> uh, and he boat crashed, he sinks, and he and he's on this island for mm-hmm. like two years. And when finally somebody finds him and they come to rescue him. He says, well, let me show you the island before we go. And he says, this hut here, this is my house. Uh, that hut there is my workshop. I remember this. And they said, well, what, what's that? That hut's my church. Oh, well, what's that other church hut? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're, we, anyway, um, the, the anatomy of the fall I think we can learn so much. And here's the huge aha for me. And I'm going to set out this framework and we'll walk through it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the real core, we have surface problems, you know, um, bad habits. Can't, can't We're nervous to resolve conflict. We have fears or anxieties. But deep at the core, I'm talking about at the core DNA level of every human being, I think there are uh, these five cores that come right out of the fall. Okay. So the first is the core emotion. Adam and Eve hide. They they eat the fruit. They recognize their nakedness. They sew fig leaves together, make clothes for themselves, and they, they hear God coming, and they hide in the, in the bushes. Mm-hmm. And uh, God says, where are you? And he says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, for a long time, that has been a framework for me. Man's core emotion is fear. Because they are naked, and because of that, they hide. That kind of that yes. circuit. Yes, but this went this went deep all of a sudden for me in my reading. I started a new Bible plan January first. Mm-hmm. Um, encourage everyone read the Bible through every year. It's a great personal habit. It is just you just learn so much about God. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, so um, I was afraid. Now what you know. You think of fear. Uh, I believe, I am persuaded that fear is the, the core emotion of all human beings. Hmm. And we is number are, one of your. Yes, we are driven by our fears. 
we react and try to build worlds that minimize our fears, mm-hmm. but fear, not hope, not inspiration, not opportunity, not potential, fear absolutely controls us. So when you look at, because I've, I've thought about this kind of more um, loosely, mm-hmm. uh, when you look at human progress right where we are now compared to where we were 2000 years ago mm-hmm. or uh the basic needs of you know uh, uh aspiration to power aspiration to money yeah um uh sexual drives mm-hmm. all of that is from fear i believe i believe so at the deepest core level and i think that there are only a handful of things we're terribly afraid of and uh we have other fears that that pile on as life goes on mm-hmm. learned fears uh experiential fears but at the core, every human being is afraid. Now, are they all afraid of the same thing? Well, here's the thing. Here's the framework. <clears throat> I was afraid because I was naked. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the deal. They hadn't sinned with their genitals. Right. It was just the two of them. Right. And it wasn't sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Their genitals had no part in eating that apple. <laughs> <laughs> right? We assume. So, But all of a sudden, they're ashamed of their Nakedness. masculinity and femininity. And, um, and what it is, is I was afraid because I was naked. I wasn't naked. I was ashamed. Hmm. So what has pivoted for me is this recognition that the core, uh, motivation of all human beings is shame. And here's the thing. The core emotion is fear. The core motivation is shame. Yes. And I'm not ashamed just of myself. I'm ashamed of my wife. My wife's ashamed of me. We, We did this together. I'm ashamed of the human race. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. And so you take these two monsters, fear. Now, why am I afraid? Because I'm ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm afraid because uh, because I'm I'm a bad person. I I think bad things, want bad things, do bad things, and I live in a world full of people like that. Yeah. And so I'm ashamed of of all of it. Uh, we are we are naked. We are, it's broke. And so that feeds this fear <clears throat> because he says, I was afraid because I was naked. Right. So, uh, so core emotion is fear. Core motivation is shame. And, and a question here. So, um, shame is like, I, and I try to avoid, um, forget the word I'm looking for, but, um, the large statements like this, but, but shame is maybe the, the big barrier, the biggest barrier between us and God. That is the, and us in any relationship because yeah. at the core, we don't feel worthy of it. So, and, and a lot of people, um, I, I would, I don't know any numbers, uh, but anecdotally, there've been a lot of, um, uh, high profile Christians who say that it was a core reason they left. Alec Baldwin says there's, there's nothing in the world like Irish Catholic shame. So it's kind of like a joke, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. the pain is is real, right? So it it drives them out of a world understanding where shame, where there needs to be shame because I've done something wrong. So is that if there if you're living a life where you um, would say you feel less shame, is the motivation gone, or are you living that way because of that motivation? Or well, I think what we'll end up seeing is we need freedom um, from these mm-hmm. because um, they they trap us. And, um, and you know, Irish shame or whatever, we use shame to motivate one another. We use shame to manipulate each other in our relationships. 
the threat of shame. I watch parents, uh, you know, all of us, when you have a, a, a disruptive two-year toddler, you know, the, the terrible twos or the, yeah. or the ferocious threes or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you, you even start using shame as a motivator for your kid to behave. Mm. So uh, it, is, it is woven deep, uh, and it takes a lot of self-awareness to recognize how much shame actually motivates you and how much shame terrifies you and how much effort you're using to cover up your shame um, or to resolve it in some way. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's build this framework because this uh, uh, we haven't gotten to the huge aha for okay. yet. Okay. Because uh, I've been thinking about those. Well, shame that instead of nakedness and exposure, I realized it's shame. There's, that is a pivot shame form. of the nakedness. Yeah. Kind of the- uh, so then the core strategy, of course, is to hide. I was afraid because I'm ashamed, so I hid. Mm-hmm. And so you know, people hide in lots of ways. We hide in our work. We hide in wealth accumulation. We hide in sex. We hide in religion. Um, there's lots of places to hide and we are really prolific hiders. We don't, you know, how many people really know someone Mm -hmm. and how many people are really known by anyone. And so, uh, hiding is a, it is a coping mechanism. It's a strategy we all use. So, uh, so then that leads to the core impulse blame. Hmm. When God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat from? And he says, well, the woman you put here with me, yeah, she gave me some and I ate. So he blames the woman. Mm-hmm. God looks at her and says, what is this you have done? And she says, the serpent you put here in the garden <laughs> deceived me. So then it's back on God and, and it's ate. on you. Now you it's ultimately that, God's fault. You put that serpent there. And now this is a monstrously big thing because you can never blame your way to freedom. Hmm. You can never blame your way into a better life. Blame does nothing for you, but it is the core uh, impulse of a terrified, ashamed, hiding person. Yeah. Somebody's to blame for this, and I pray to God it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) But I know it's me. That's why I have shame. That's why I'm terrified, and that's why I'm hiding. Mm -hmm. But I don't want it to be me. And so this impulse to blame, uh, I've met men who are porn addicts, and they blame their wives for not being sexually interested enough. Mm. It's her fault. But then they feel guilt. So if it's really not your fault, why do you feel so guilty? Right. And so you're in this prison. This And all of this res, is, uh, is the reality in the core state of humans, which is cursed. Mm. The core state of human beings is that we are cursed. So what is it to be cursed it is to be wrapped in fear, totally ashamed, hiding, and blaming everybody else for it. If you live that life, that's what living a cursed life is. And the curse is um, probably notoriously maybe misunderstood, you could say, or or people saying the inevitability of the curse, right? Well, this is the curse that uh, um, men do this, women do this. So this is when you say this is the actual like workings of well, the curse. Is this inevitable? The inevitable state yes, of you all are humans? born. You are born in a cursed state, uh, I think. And Ephesians two um, one through ten, you know, it says that uh, we were all by nature deserving of wrath. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the natural state of human beings: fear, shame, hiding, and blame. 
if we don't fight our nature, mm-hmm. that's where we will live. That's where we will. That's where our motivations will come from. That'll be our driving emotion. That'll be our core impulse to blame. Um, and so people through therapy, self-awareness, learning from God, becoming better followers of Jesus, uh, we, we start realizing, I can't blame anyone for this. Personal responsibility, you know, this is a big aha for me in my life. Personal responsibility is the most powerful thing God has given me. Hmm. And my refusal to accept it will keep me enslaved, but my uh, embracing of it creates all kinds of opportunities for me because now I'm not defined by what happened to me, what you did to me, what you think about me. I take personal responsibility for the outcomes of my life, and that means I have the power to change the outcomes of my life. So we have uh, insights that help us, but this is the core dilemma of humanity. Mm -hmm. Fear, shame, hiding, blame. All of that is cursed. So what we need and this is the the five you said is the fifth one the curse is that yes. that it that that's it, the core state that it is the, the core state of human beings is cursed gotcha you know you and i have talked about this this is a whole can of worms and i probably shouldn't bring it up but it it's you know for you and me it's a it's an ongoing conversation is every human being a child of god mm. those who in john one um he came to his own and his own did not receive him but to whoever did receive them receive him he gave the right for them to become children of god mm-hmm. and, and and so people say how could god send his own children to hell well not every human being is a child of god when you know uh <clears throat> mary and john show up outside of that uh, house and he says you know they say here's you're, your mother and father he says uh who is my mother and, and brother and 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 sister but those who do the will of my father right that, that's the qualifier yeah for family yeah so we're in a state of death we're in a state of cursed mm-hmm and um, we need a redeemer. We need a savior to break the curse, which Jesus does for us. But if I'm given, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a guy with a gambling addiction who's terrible with money, and you know, trapped in all kinds of lifestyle things. Yeah, you can't give him forty-two million dollars and solve his problems. <laughs> no, right? And so Jesus gives us forty-two million dollars of our redemption. Mm-hmm. But we have to learn. This is why. This is why sanctification the ongoing work of becoming like jesus is a lifetime effort because we have to keep learning how not to be a cursed person yeah i have to learn how to live as a free person and that means um i need god to help me so and here's the last thing okay for the framework what all of that cursed does is it totally covers and hides your true identity which is an image bearer of God. Hmm. You were created. God said, let us make man in our image, male and female who created them. You were designed by God to bear his image and to live in powerful, loving relationship with him. That's your identity. And it just gets crushed and covered with curse, with fear and shame and hiding and blame and curse. And you need Jesus to break that and you need to learn to not be afraid not be ashamed not hide not blame to live the free life of your real identity and many of us have a hard time believing at the core that my identity is that i was created in the image of god that i am a work of god um that that god loves me these are hard things for people to really believe why because we are smothered in that curse yeah, I've got 
I love this, and I've got lots of questions. First, let's do our show and tell real quick. Okay. Then a commercial break, and we'll come back, and I'll and I've I've got some more discussion questions. Okay. About these. Awesome. And it's your turn, John, to have a, a, a show and tell thing. So what do you got? I got it. So this uh, week it is, and I've shown one of these before, but it is a book that everyone listening to this has in their home, <laughs> made of uh, leather or some kind of faux leather. Everyone has one in their home. Everyone. It is, this one is big. It is probably like 10 inches by four inches. Uh, uh, typical page is eight and a half by 11. So would you call it maybe uh, 4.75 by five and a half? You know what? Like I'm, a half page? I'll show you. What do you think? I think, I think I'm on that. I think that's yeah. a half page. I think it's pretty much uh, four and a half by Five and a half. Four point seven five by five and a half. I'll buy it. Uh this is a Bible. It is. Uh and I've shown one before that I had for a long time. And this was your old Bible, your it was. teaching Bible. Yeah. Uh it is large print, which as my prescription has outdated myself, I've been really, really grateful for. Well, and the thing is, it's not large print. It's just no? a certain type of font that made it easier to read because at the time I bought that Bible. I did not need large print, but I needed a clearer font. I was trying to avoid large print. Oh, to uh, unless that says front large print at the front. In the, it doesn't. Oh, in the in the front flap there. But I think it was just a. I was surprised to find a font that I could read easier. And why did you want to avoid large print? Because that means you're old. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful for this one. <laughs> uh, it does not say large print. Okay. So you're probably right yeah. that it is just a font. Yeah. Um, but the leather, I talked about how my last one was peeling to pieces. This one is nice. Yeah. It's thick, rubbery feeling. Um, you've got notes all through here, which are really, really cool. If you can read them, my, my handwriting is I, pretty rough. To be honest, I can't always, but I'm, I like that they're there. <laughs> I like finding them. Um, this, so I keep now that one, my classic one on my bed stand and it's, it's strange cause that one's ESV. This is NIV. Yeah. So I, going from one to the other, yeah. this one goes with me. The other one stays my bedside. So oh, okay. if I finish a book, kind of, yeah. I switch translations halfway. It's kind of interesting, but, uh, I love this one. Very, very simple. It has a bordering texture on the front page mm-hmm. of just some cool little um, weave or something. Yeah, yeah. Weave. And then just the Holy Bible on the front. Um, I love it. Obviously, sentimental Dark value. brown, kind of chocolate. Is that yeah. what you call that chocolate? Very chocolate looking. Um, and uh, and I just like it because it's a good Bible. And after I was reading this, the other one is like, I really got to squint at that one. And really, I just need new glasses. But uh, You do need new glasses. Um, but I'm grateful to have this. And it's because you got you finally did give in to I the... I got the not just large, extra large print. Extra large. like. And when you first saw it, I must say, you took a shot. You said, Dad... They could read that from a satellite. <laughs> it's crazy. But I was also part jealous. I opened that thing. I could set that on my lap and lean back in a chair and yeah. read that book. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's my show and tell. Uh, let's quick do our commercial break. And we'll be right back with the second half. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives. 
and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our uh, commercial and for the listening to the whole thing. We're and very grateful for our patrons oh, and yeah. all you who listen and subscribe. I did find out, John, I was doing some homework on our analytics of our podcast. Mm-hmm. We have had listeners in 40 states. Nice. That really was encouraging to me. We should list the ones we're missing and see if we can uh, see if we can nail those. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I might make a list or get the list up one of these times, and we'll talk about it and see how we can uh, crack the code on the other ten states. That'd be awesome. Uh, so I've got a list of questions now that you've kind of unpacked the core of the idea, and you've got some a, a little few more things to say. Which one would you rather do first? Well, uh, let me just say, let me just do this real quick. Um, that is the that is the core. I really believe this is the core battle of what it is to be human, to and be a, fallen. The, yeah, those five, those that cursed state with fear, shame, hiding, blame, uh, and cursed. And then your identity hidden. Underneath and your identity is buried, man. It's so hard to it's so hard to believe that identity. So, uh, what you have to do is you have to go to work. And mm-hmm. uh, my framework for going to work is Jeremiah one, where God says to him. Um, uh, I have commissioned you. I formed you in your mother's womb and I commissioned you. Hmm. And he says to, uh, to tear down, overthrow, uproot and destroy to plant and to build. And those are five destructive actions hmm. and two constructive actions. And I think that as, and this is my framework for uh, counseling and for help to really take a look at um that we have a lot more demolition to do than we have construction to do, but you got to do both. And so you tear down walls and you overthrow rulers and principalities and you uproot uh, deeply planted things in you and you destroy weapons. And isn't that when uh, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples after he's resurrected or, or thereabouts, I'm again, probably missing where this actually is, but about what the spirit can do. Uh, to bind and loose, and he says to uproot strongholds. Is that language there too? Or? It is. Um, and all through the book of Jeremiah, you see this language repeated. Um, it's really fascinating, I, which I had noted. This is, again, one of those uh, perks of reading the Bible every year mm-hmm. is you, you see these things over and over, and all of a sudden something that never popped out to you before does. For sure. Uh, but yeah, this is what the this is what the Spirit of Christ does in us. And then you plant and build. This is where you set your mind on things. You plant new habits. So... Um, we have this fallen, cursed state, uh-huh. and to free ourselves, we have some work to do of tearing down, overthrowing, uprooting, destroying, planting, and building. Well, that'll lead to my first question. Okay. So um, one of my, again, one of my challenges with a lot of more more recent uh, barriers is in the most practical way you can, if I want to say, what do I do every day? to use this model to change my life, mm-hmm. to, to actually start that work mm-hmm. of, of uh, unearthing that hidden identity yeah. in a very practical sense. What do I do to, to do that? Well, um, I think you have to believe that Christ has come to set you free, that, mm-hmm. that God is committed to your 
removal of your curse and that he that his love is unconditional that his commitment to you is deep and that your life can be found you have to have a hope sure um, and then you have to be willing to do some real serious investigation self-awareness maybe some conversations with somebody else who can help you some kind of counselor or- yeah to really to really dig into what your deepest fears are to really confront your shame uh, I'm having this practice, for example, right now. Um, lots of people are experiencing more anxiety than ever before in this COVID season, yeah, 2020. For sure. So if you already had a little bit of anxiety, now suddenly you have more. And if you battle some fears, um, some whatever, compulsions, whatever. And um, I, I had this thought, you know, that 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 fear is reasonable. Rational people are afraid. They yeah. should be because there are threats. And so if you step out off, off the curb and a car's whisking by, you jump back and you're afraid. Yeah. That's a legitimate fear. But some people feel that level of fear when there is, in fact, no threat. Right. And so a big part of your assessment is, why do I feel fear that is illegitimate? Hmm. Because it's okay to uh, embrace that I feel fear when fear is appropriate. But what if, what if, why am I feeling fear at times when fear is not appropriate? Yeah. Why can't I become convinced that fear is not an is not an appropriate response to what I'm facing? There's no reason I should be this afraid. So um, that's helping me deal with my fears, even just to have that conversation with myself, to ask myself: Is this an appropriate level of fear, or is it an exaggerated level of fear? Gotcha. And then that gives me permission to reject it because it's not real. Yeah. Um, but all that, uh, most of us don't know what it is we're most deeply afraid of. And I think that our fear is attached to our sense of self. I'm ashamed. Um, I don't feel worthy. That gets, of course, multiplied if you have uh, dysfunctional family of origin, mm-hmm. if you've gone through traumatic issues, uh, if you've been betrayed. You know, those things can get even worse. So then, so then, if we're making like a game plan, it, the first one is have this hope in Jesus, and the second one is is do this really kind of backbreaking work of 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 working through that kind of spaghetti mm-hmm. ball of shame and guilt and fear. Yeah, and I would say I would say um, you know meeting Christ and believing that you're deeply loved by God that is the starting point. And mm-hmm. I have a saying that no matter no matter how good your life is or how bad it is. Your biggest need is more of Jesus. You just can't get enough of him. And so that's the first. The second one is uh, self-awareness is what I would say. I would yeah. I would say self-awareness. To start paying attention. Are there rhythms to my fears or my stress or my shame? Are there times when even times of the month? I think we have rhythms in our body. Um, why is it noticing this? What kind of people intimidate me? mm why do those kind of people intimidate me? Yeah, I, I have a I have a guy who uh, was a pastor, had a like a one five minute affair, blew up his whole life. Okay, mm-hmm. now he was he was having very inappropriate Facebook conversations with this woman, but he physically touched her one time. Uh, but man, he was he was a mess. Sure, and as he went through therapy. Uh, the therapist noticed that the women that he is drawn to are all of a certain age bracket with kids of a certain age. 
And what they all had in common is they were the age that his mother was when she abandoned him as a little kid. Oh, man. Now you go, oh, that's psycho, psycho babble. Hey, these things are real. The, the, the soul is wounded. It is afraid. It, it keeps, it has a long memory. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm talking about stuff like that of, and you don't, you don't know, you, you won't notice connections unless you dig a little bit. Yeah. Unless you start to observe. Investigative work. Yeah. One of the things I did years ago was just document in my journal the days I felt certain things. And I just noticed over a month, several month span, if there was a pattern. Yeah. Because it felt random. Turned out it wasn't random. Hmm. So you can have those kinds of self-awareness. It's, but you can do that because you are not ashamed and you're not afraid because you know. And this is why, for me, the, the safest place on earth is with Jesus. Yeah. And I know that if I do this work with Jesus, he is not saying, see how terrible you are. Right. Uh, see how bad you suck. He's not doing that. And so in that safe space, you've got to be really courageous. And by faith, um, accept your freedom and keep telling yourself again, I'm free. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a journey. So related question, uh, for me, and I'm not spectacular, but this is common because we are broken to, to this extent, uh, that even something as, um, you know, positive as accepting responsibility, the blame Mm -hmm. one, right. Uh, that perverts itself back into shame. Right. And can can increase shame. Mm-hmm. So these ones that seem almost contingent on each other, how do you navigate unraveling that without making another area of your life worse? I don't think I have particular issues in the blame category, mm-hmm. but I think I have some significant hurdles in the shame category, and they might even be consequential. Yeah, connected in some way. Yeah. Well, um, I I think that, again, the self-awareness piece of just reflecting on this and noticing your behavior and your patterns is a big, big deal. You'll start to get more and more clarity um, about that. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, blanking on exactly how you asked the question. So can you ask that again? Yeah. Just when one of these uh, affects the other, and even if you were to solve one, it could, because of how broken we are, make one worse. Specifically, the one that came to mind is the blame and shame Mm -hmm. that once you accept full responsibility, think, well, I really am. Because because of I'm responsible for this, I really am the worst person yeah. that I know. Yeah, one of my favorite jokes is a guy goes to a counselor and he says, I think I have uh, an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. And he puts him through a battery of tests and he says, well, I have good news and bad news. Good news is you do not have an inferiority complex. You the are ba- actually. The bad news is you're truly inferior. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you do have that fear. What if I yeah. what if I do all this and discover that I really am worthless? Yeah. And the, and the truth is you won't discover that because – what all this digging gets you to is that identity you had at the start, mm. image bearer of God, and He's going to help you get there. So uh, you're actually—it's like you're going—it's like you're digging through piles and piles and piles and piles of junk, but at the bottom is this identity, and you are going to get there. Yeah. I, I think that um, the thing that popped in my head while you were talking about the—you know—do they feed each, off each other and hurt each other? This is the lie, all the lies of Satan all the temptations of your sin, you think they're going to calm you, you think they're going to medicate you, you think they're going to make your life a little better, all they do is deepen the curse. Mm. They intensify your fears. They feed your shame. They make you want to hide even more. And they make you blame. So 
um, when we don't follow Jesus, life, the, the, the spirit of the age, the enemy that we uh, fight against, they're all designed to take you further into that curse. Yeah. And, and so the wisest thing you can do is stick close to Jesus and allow him to walk you through that. And uh, a lot of people have um, been in cultures where, you know, questions in, in, in churches where questions haven't been welcome. Mm. And I know the pushback that you've had on that and it's been really helpful to me is that um, if all truth is God's truth, then searching will lead you back to it. So uh, in the same way, I've heard of people who are afraid to read their Bible because they don't, they're worried about their faith not being strong enough. The more questions and they mm-hmm. know the answer to mm-hmm. will come up and it'll actually damage their faith. Uh, but in the same way, that digging it will only get you to the truth because it's really there, that that you are um, a child of God. It will, but it also may scare the crap out of you because there are some very complicated questions that are legitimate that people have. You mm-hmm. know, uh, all the, all the uh, genocide of the Old Testament, you know, those are real struggles. And um, so it is it – is, um, it can be a confusing thing, but here's the deal for me is I have a basic foundation that I will not negotiate, mm-hmm. which is that God is inherently good. So when I'm confused, when I'm afraid, when I'm like, oh, no, God really did that, that doesn't seem fair to me. Sure. I know that I haven't understood it all yet, and God is still good. So I won't give that up. When Tim was getting, When Tim was really sick and I thought he might die. You know, Sue and I had that conversation. We, this we know, and we will not budge on this belief. God is good. Mm-hmm. And that helps you. So it helps to have uh, that pillar as you do discover some things that confuse you, people that confuse you, um, religious leaders that might confuse you, scriptures that might make you go, wow, I don't like that story of Job one bit. I just don't like that. Um, you hold on to this this anchor uh, we have this hope, the New Testament says, we have this hope as an anchor to the soul, safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And that anchor is we have a God who loves us, who sent his son to redeem us, and he's going to bring us into eternity with him one day. That hope is an anchor. Everything else can toss and turn and be disrupted, but that's the anchor. Well, okay. So this next one, this is probably the big one. I was going to I should, I saved it for last, and I realized now it might take up a huge amount of time. So I probably should have gone first. So if you have any other, anything else you want to nope, say, we're good. Okay. So, uh, this one is, we've talked a ton about the ability of people to change. Mm-hmm. It's been a big, big theme, especially in 2020, mm-hmm. not because of the current events, just, just these conversations. How much can a person really change? Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, in the divine conspiracy, which I'm reading on your recommendation, and it's very, very good. Uh, he quotes this. Um, he names him. I forgot his name now, but he's basically a, a Christian. Uh, I think he's a pastor who had a letter in a Christian magazine. Mm. I think he edited it. And so he had a letter as being it was a it was a celebratory thing. He had been pastoring for this many years. and It was a celebratory little column. OK. And he said that he now believed that he had lost faith in the transformation of people mm. he had seen so many people have moral failures <laughs> or faith live in a hidden life yeah and nobody knows or just leaving the faith yeah that he came to believe based on just things that he'd seen with his own eyes and he'd, he'd done this a long time mm-hmm. 
that your salvation from from hell by God, which was real, he still believed in God, mm-hmm. had no bearing on the way you lived your life. Really? And your actual change as a person. And uh, so then basically God ought to kill us as soon as we get saved. That way we can escape this hell hole <laughs> and just go straight to glory. Or uh, grace abounds or, you know, yeah, greater, yeah. greater the glory of God. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure, but, and I know that we had had, uh, in a particularly dour time, you had, you had said that you had, were having a hard time finding the change that the gospel promises in real people that you, that you see mm-hmm. when you think of people, mm-hmm. even yourself and myself, mm-hmm. how hard change can be. Yeah. So, but, but it is the, it's, it, uh, the gospel does not mince words about this as being right. the new life. The eternal life is this change. And so we talk about, you know, the work of this being, um, you know, not a born again, kind of miraculous, immediate change, immediate oftentimes. recovery where bam, now you're no longer that person anymore yeah, where yeah. you've, you've, you've uncovered your identity underneath the curse yeah. immediately, or God did it for you. Um, really what I'm saying is how do you feel about one, uh, this work process, in in the lens of uh, new birth kind of conversations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and two is this change really really possible? Yeah, so uh, I think I've had a recent aha on why change is so hard, and it's because we still embrace an old covenant way of thinking, hmm. and that is God saying, "If you will, I will." And this is we have this inherent belief. This is why when something bad happens to us, we say, "Why?" Yeah. Because we don't feel it's deserved, and we think that God owes us. This is why people, if they go to a season of fasting, think that now God is going to do some special layer of blessing on them because they have done this extraordinary thing. Because they finally earned it. Yes. And we do have a quid pro quo relationship with God, and it is an old covenant idea. So what that does is it actually intensifies your fear and your shame. Because you're not going to win in that contest, hmm. you are not going to you're not going to perform to standard, and if you're trying to earn it, it drives you deeper in. So and it and it covers up that uh, I, that core identity, and so um, I think people can change. I really do think they can change. I think what you have is you're born into a broken world, and you have this core human condition of fear, shame hiding and blame and that has covered up god's true identity for you Mm -hmm. and then you go through years of life for you 25 for me 58 and during which time more gets piled on and more gets piled on that convinces me that i should be afraid that convinces me i'm Mm. worthy of shame that convinces me i should keep hiding because whenever i don't hide people reject me if people really know me They'll reject me. And man, churches reject people. If I tell them I'm battling same-sex attraction, they're going to run me out of here. And so you dabble with some exposure, and you realize I need to stay hiding. Mm. Uh, Blame. So you have years of experience in a broken, fallen world where you're not navigating God's way. You're navigating your intuitive, reflexive way and piling even higher the condition of curse. And so it's a lot to shovel. Yeah. So then it would be change is possible. It's just inordinately difficult. Yes. And it takes a desire. It takes a true willingness to to uh, to do that kind of work. 
Yeah. I told you once, you know, that most mental health professionals, uh, the, kind of the rule of thumb of, of the industry <laughs> sure, is that um, 80% of who you are, 75 to 80% of who you are is calcified by your eighth or 10th birthday. There's a range of views about this. Mm-hmm. And that the rest of your life, 20% of who you are has been determined and shaped after that. But the core you is locked down personality, temperament, sexuality. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And um, that's why it's so hard because that was formed in you without any conscious thought, without any intentional effort on your part. It all reflexively happened based on the environment you're in and the condition of your soul and the fallen state of who you are. And then you live that identity out and navigate with it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So to have real deep change at the core level, you got to go all the way back there. This is why the joke, you know, I don't want to say a counselor going to ask me about my parents. He's going to say, tell me about your dad. Yeah. And uh, well, there's a reason they do that because so much of your reflex dealing with fear, shame, hiding and, and blame is anchored in you before you even have any ability to consciously uh, debate it. Yeah. Well, man, um, that all sounds discouraging. I, I, I realize um, that sounds like, well, crap, I don't want to work that hard. You, you're, you're wanting me to, to you know, I, I spoke to a guy today and um, he's a, he's a man's man. Sure. Know? And uh, he's self-made man, but he has some serious pain from a lot of issues from a long time ago that he has kept shoving in a corner, shoving in a corner, shoving. And now he can't shove it anymore. Mm. And the alcohol he was using has become an addiction and it's not helping him medicate his pain anymore. And he was an athlete when he was young. And I said, you know, um, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. If you're hurt, you can play hurt. Yeah. But you can't play injured. If you're injured, you have to come out of the game and you have to deal with the injury. You have to heal. And, yes. Yeah. And I told him, you're at a place in your life, you got to come out of the game. And you can't say, oh, I can play hurt. I can keep going through this. No, you're going to have to stop the game and step out and deal with the injury that you have, um, which is hard for people to do. But the hope is, the, the power is this, that God is in this process with you. And he goes into the secret place by the Holy Spirit, and he can heal and help with things you don't even understand. I mean, the truth is, by the time I die, I still won't understand myself the way God knows me. Yeah. Uh, but his grace is sufficient for the task, and there's great joy to be had even along the journey of discovery and of recovery. There's great joy to be had. Yeah. Well, I think this is, again, just as a we've talked a bit, especially recently about diagnostic tools. Mm-hmm. And thinking tools, it's just kind of a way to not be blind in your own um, self, yeah, in your own head. Yeah. Uh, I think this is really, really good. Um, and uh, and it's simple. And I think there's, I have a tendency to to not trust fully simple, um, yeah. overly simple things for very complicated uh, realities. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, much of the Bible, much of biblical wisdom is very simple. And uh, it's the great greatest psychology textbook ever written because mm. uh, psychology is suke, the soul. P S U C H E is the Greek word for soul. Who made your soul? Who's the healer of your soul? Who's the redeemer of your soul? God is. The Bible actually is the greatest book of psychology in the world. And as we walk with Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us and we do 
the ongoing redemptive work in our soul, there is great joy and freedom and recovery to be had. Yeah. Do you have a, a takeaway for us? Well, I'm curious if you do, because that was a lot of stuff and I'm pretty fired up about all of it. So did you have anything that rose to the top for you in the conversation? Well, just that the objective of it, because this could be seen as, um, oh, great. Well, then I can increase my mental health or my, you know, and that is no small thing at all. Mm -hmm. But the real goal of it is to see who you really are. Yeah. You know, the rest is um, is uh, symptom management. Mm -hmm. It is how do I how do I alleviate this pain? Or, or this symptom of Absolutely. my broken self. Yeah. And th- this is to the, you know, the actual disease, to yeah. the fallen man. Yeah, and, the, and the, the good news is, and the helpful news is, you do need short-term coping mechanisms mm-hmm. while you deal on the long-term problem. So those are effective, too. You know, how I manage anger or how I handle uh, sexual urges. Or this debilitating anxiety. I that need I have immediate or, help right now that stops yeah. the bleeding yeah. while I do the deeper work of a long term uh, freedom. I have one last thought, and this was the aha for me, the last aha of the soul process sure. yesterday. Let's hear it. Is uh, what is the indicator that you're out from under the curse and that you're living your identity as a child of God, uh, the apple of his eye, fully redeemed? And free, free mm-hmm. from fear, shame, hiding, and blaming. What is, there's one, I think, key indicator that says, I'm, it's happening. I'm free. <laughs> and it is, uh, Tim Keller's phrase, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Hmm. You know that you're healthy, and you know that you're in the right place with God when it's just not about you anymore. Yeah. You're your work doesn't have to be about you. It's about God. Your relationships aren't about you. You don't view everything as what it means. What are you saying about me? You're not defensive. You don't have to be accoladed. You don't get uh, destroyed with criticism. You are free to forget yourself. Hmm. My friend Ron Key says in this process, it has to become all about you for a little while so that it doesn't ever have to be about you again. Yeah. And uh, I really, the thing is that that when you get to that place of self-forgetfulness, you're unoffendable, you're free, that's when you know you're making progress there. That's beautiful. And really, you know, you talk about um, pride or shame. Shame could be misconstrued as saying you uh, uh, view yourself low, like a humility. But yes. really, it's it's self-obsession. Is, exactly. Is, is what it is. And yeah, I think people say, how can I be proud? I hate myself. Yeah. Yeah. But you're obsessed with yourself. Yeah. And you are <laughs> proud because you're holding yourself to this insane bar that you don't hold anybody else to. Right. Because you, that's really pride. You believe you're there yeah. or you should be there. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's, good. that's golden. Well, man, we hope this has been helpful and, uh, we look forward next week. We're going to talk, uh, John, you mentioned, uh, last episode before this one, episode mm-hmm. 87, that you had some theological sticking points and one of your goals in 2021 was to process through some of those. So next week we're going to tackle one of those. Well, they're, it's, they're it's, all kind of a weave uh, woven together. There'll be a bit of redundancy. And we've, we've talked about this before, um, but this is father and son conversation. And it's where you're at. And it's where I'm at. So hopefully you guys don't get tired of it. Uh, if you do <laughs> have uh, anything to contribute to these, I know it can kind of feel like, like you're, you are in on the conversation, but you can't, you can't, you don't get to jump in and yeah. offer your thoughts. Well, the truth is you can, yeah. if you uh, email us at info at Jim and John.com, no, no H and John, John. Yep. Uh, or a content form at Jim and John.com 
or message us on Instagram at Jim and John. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love, we love to hear would from you. love to hear from you, and we will answer every email, every question, and uh, you can give us uh, topic ideas as well. Yeah, episode please. ideas. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We will talk to you next week. God bless you. Thank you.